Hey everyone, welcome to the Grove Church Cultivate Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and so glad that you've joined us. And if you've been with us here for the last few weeks, we have been in the middle of a series. We're kind of looking at verses that often get misunderstood, that get misinterpreted, sometimes just misquoted completely. And basically we've been kind of calling, you know, that's not that's not what that says. You know, we've looked at verses that are incredibly popular to misuse, like um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can, um, God won't give me more than I can handle those kinds of things. And in the process of some of this, hopefully, as we've been kind of looking at individual verses, we've been doing a little bit of little Bible study lessons too, as well. Obviously the biggest one being just learning to read context to understand that the verses around it inform what the verse means, but then also just the, in the broader sense of context, helping understand we looked at some passages in the Old Testament recently and just kind of just to understand when and where in the Bible these verses exist, who the audience was, who uh, who the command was meant for, and those kinds of things. And so uh, we've got another one today, and hopefully in the process of just kind of not only understanding um, what this verse says and what it actually means, that we can also just learn a little bit about how to better read and understand the Bible. And so this passage, the one we are looking at today, the the verse itself is found at the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. And the phrase that we find in this verse, Galatians 5, 4, is a phrase that at least, you know, in the church that I grew up in, and I've heard it in other places too, is a phrase that gets used a lot. In this, Paul uses the phrase and describes people as having fallen from grace. Now, you've probably heard that expression so that you say, oh, this is a description of how someone f- fell from grace. Oh, they are falling from grace. You have probably heard that expression in a non-biblical context. And you may not have even known that that phrase, fallen from grace, was even a biblical concept at all. Now, the first time that I heard this phrase was, again, growing up, going to church, and people use this phrase and describe someone as having, quote, fallen from grace. And in the context in which it was used, it was meant to signify that to fall from grace meant that you could lose your salvation. And so do you believe that it's possible for someone to, quote, fall from grace? Which was the question, is it possible to lose your salvation? And if so, how? And the church that I grew up in did not believe that you could lose your salvation. And as if you, again, if you've been hanging out here with us for a long time, uh, you'll know that we've probably talked about this, you know, at least once, probably a couple of times, the idea of, of the security of the believer. And guess what? At some point today, we will talk about it again. But you know, if you've been around, that you know that, that I'm actually very adamant that you cannot lose your salvation, that the, the love and security that we have in our relationship with God cannot be changed. And so the answer to the question was, can someone fall from grace? Of course, the answer is no. And so if the answer to that is no, then obviously there would be no place in the Bible where it says that you can fall from grace. And so imagine my surprise when um, I was talking to somebody about this issue and they said, well, you know, the Bible says this. And they read this verse in Galatians 5 verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And so very clearly right there in verse four, it says that you can, in fact, fall from grace. And 
for for a hot second there, I was a little confused, a little taken aback that I had no idea that the Bible said this. But if you if you take a second and you kind of just think of the etymology of this, and I always have to be real careful here, entomology is the study of bugs. Etymology is the study of words. You got me on that? You got my like Okay, good. The, the, the room agrees. The etymology of this phrase, fallen from grace, to come to mean that you could lose your salvation. I mean, the origin of this phrase comes from this passage. So fallen from grace only means lose your salvation if this means that. But if you decide in advance that to fall from grace means to lose salvation and you see the phrase, then you look at it and say, well, well clearly that's what Paul's talking about because this is what that phrase means. And so hopefully you can recognize kind of the circular logic of that. We determine in advance that fall from grace means lose your salvation. I see the phrase in Galatians 5, therefore it means lose salvation. The question then we have to ask, is that what Paul is talking about? It would be very strange, I believe, to, you know, to compare this to the passage, again, that we've looked at here before. And we'll you know, reference here again today in Romans 8, where essentially Paul says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love that you have in Christ. We talked about this. If you remember, it says there's nothing in the past, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nothing alive, nothing dead. There is nothing that can do that. And so if in a very clear statement, Paul says that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, it would be very odd for him in Galatians 5 to say that there is in fact something that can separate you from the love of God. So let's just look a little bit, as we are always do when we're in this series, is to look at some of the verses around it. And so we will just start in verse 1. Verse 1, Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So even here, we need to make sure we understand the context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that Christ has set us free through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's like, we, we were used to be a slave to sin, and now he has set us free. And so what he's saying here in verse one, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, there's a bit of a, you know, tautology, kind of self-evident statement here about this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But the idea is, why did he set us free? Well, he set us free because he wanted us to be free. He wanted us to have freedom. That's why he set us free. Well, no, okay, sure obviously. But what does he mean by that is for freedom that Christ has set us free, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You used to be a slave to sin and he set you free and he set you free because he wanted you to be free. He did not set you free so you could be someone or better, more precise here, something else's slave. You used to be a slave to sin and he set you free and he did not set you free with the purpose to make you someone or something else's slave. He set you free so you would, in fact, be free. Verse 2, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now, this is the moment where things just get just mildly awkward Because I think by and large, people, when they're doing Bible study, they pretend like circumcision is some really just kind of biblical concept, and we can just kind of talk about it and not really be awkward, but it is awkward, right? We're talking about cutting off the the foreskin of, of, of a man's penis here is what we're talking about here. And it really is kind of shocking 
when you when you read it, how big of an issue this was. And it really is just can kind of be a little bit off-putting. I think it's often because it is just kind of can be just a little, it feels vulgar um, to talk about that sometimes we ignore it, but it is obviously a very important issue. It is, this issue is found in multiple of Paul's letters and rightly so. It's not just some random physical act or even some random religious act. It was not a random act of of hygiene or beauty or anything like that. It was the mark. It was the absolute mark that God established for himself between him and the Israelites. He said this to Abraham, repeated it multiple, multiple times, that this is the sign that you are a part of the covenant that God has made with his people, Israel. It was the primary sign. And so as such, it was very important to the Jewish people and Jewish people you know, maybe understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, who want to follow Jesus, but still are connected to the fact that they grew up understanding that this is the primary definition of their covenant, it's going to remain an important issue for them. And so it becomes this incredibly controversial issue. So put aside the fact, you know, we can, you know, put, let's put aside the fact, the, the, the physicality of what's actually happening here. And we should understand that this is, the primary way that Jesus said is the primary symbol or representation of the covenant that he made with Israel. And so as such, Paul is saying, some of you are telling people or allowing people to tell you that if you want to be a follower of Christ, you must also do this. So now we're talking to people who were not raised Jewish and don't already have this symbol as a part of their of their faith, but people who were non-Jewish and are coming to faith not because, not as, you know, you know, the primary vehicle of them coming to faith isn't through their Jewish heritage, but they're hearing really about the God of the Old Testament. They're hearing about him for the first time through Jesus. And so they're not part of the covenant that involves circumcision at all. And so he's telling them, hey, you people who are not circumcised, if you let them talk you into this, and he says something very intense and extreme here, really. Christ will be of no value to you at all. And then he emphasizes it and kind of repeats himself in verse three. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So what he's saying here is that if you allow them the way that they are talking to you about circumcision— not as just some sort of religious symbol or some way of kind of aligning yourself with the past. Because these people are telling the Galatians that in order to have a relationship with God, this must be true of you. This is the only way. This is the vehicle by which you can come to faith. You can understand Jesus and believe in him. But if you really want to enter into God's family, you must do this because it is the primary symbol of this covenant relationship. And that has not changed, as we're saying. And what Paul's saying here is if you are saying that this old custom that God made with the Jewish people, if you make that, if you make that the primary way that you enter into a relationship with God, then Christ, his death on the cross, he died for you for free. It was a gift. You're saying that 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 gift is irrelevant. And you may think, well, that seems overstated. Well, Paul's definitely coming strong here, but his point is, 
if you are if you are going to allow them to tell you that you are made right with God because of an act that you do, then you're saying that the act that Jesus did is not what justified, was not what made you right. Because we, because if you are going to have a relationship with God that is based on what the Old Testament says about the covenant, he says you can't just be circumcised. Because the covenant, that was the starting point for the covenant, but then the relationship is maintained by following all aspects of the Jewish law. And so if you believe that you can enter into a relationship with God through circumcision, you need to understand that you are telling God, you're telling yourself, you're telling people that you're going to follow the whole law. And he says, you are obligated to obey the whole law. Verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. So either Jesus died for you or you can earn God's favor by following the law. It's one or the other. It can't be both. So if you are trying to say, Jesus isn't enough, I have to do these things, you are trying to make yourself right by the law. And if you've done that, you are, you are separating yourself, you are alienating yourself from what Jesus did for you. You have, here we go, here's our phrase, you have fallen away from grace. You have moved away from understanding that God's gift to you is completely and totally free and you are choosing to move to a different place where you earn your salvation. Verse five, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only things that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So we find our salvation, we find our hope, we find our life, we find all of this in the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. It is a free gift that God is offering to you. And so you can either follow that and allow Jesus only and his death on the cross to be what saves you, or you can choose this path that says, I am going to um, be circumcised and then ultimately be obligated to obey the whole law. And so really, is what Paul is talking about here, is he talking about someone who has made a genuine decision to follow Christ and then is saying, I am no longer putting my faith in Christ. I'm now going to reject him completely. And so you lose your salvation and now you are someone who is following the law does not seem to be what Paul is talking about here. And again, this is all, if this is all based on really this imagery that Paul is using to fall away, to be alienated from Christ. And there's a sense in which these kinds of phrases can be used with any sort of sin. When I choose sin over Jesus, I'm alienating myself from him. I am, I am rejecting grace. I am, I am, if I begin to think that I can do this on my own, I am falling away from the idea of grace and I find myself alone and isolated. I find myself alienated. There's nothing in here that is pointing to someone who has a status of having a relationship with God and being a part of God's family and losing that status. Everything about this is relational in nature. Um, you, you, 
alienated, falling away. The, these, these are metaphorical terms to describe what happens relationally between you and God. Could you theoretically, could you theoretically make a case to say, well, Charlie, this might mean that. Yeah, okay, I guess theoretically good. It, it is either talking about status or relationship, the, the, the quality and the nature of the relationship, or a third way, he could be describing two different paths that someone who as of yet has not entered into God's family, two different paths they can take. One, the grace path, and one, the works path. Let's just keep going. Verse seven, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Okay, so it seems to be here that he's talking about a group of people who, you know, you were running a good race. These people are in. So we'll, we'll get rid of the first one. He's not necessarily talking about people who have not made a decision for Christ yet. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. That's an expression that means, just, again, just a, a, little, a little bit of something can contaminate everything. Verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And so, so essentially, you know, he basically saying, hey, man, this guy, he, this guy that's, that's confusing you, he, we, we, we got to get, get rid of him. And then in verse 12, he says this, and I just bring this up because it is such an incredible thing that this verse is actually in the Bible. He closes out this thought with this, verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves, which is just an amazing thing to be in the Bible. He's saying he's going around, these people are going around with their knife, circumcising people, circumcising themselves. He's like, man, let me tell you what I think about these people. I wish they would just keep cutting, which is just, I'm sorry, it's just wow. It's just wow that Paul's that mad. But anyway, so he's really upset with these people who are who are teaching someone, teaching people that, that it is grace plus something. And so I don't think that there's any doubt that Paul would not believe at all that these people who are teaching this and who are kind of pushing people towards circumcision, that these people are saved at all. So the question would be, what about somebody who was genuinely saved, understood that the gospel comes and life comes through Jesus' death on the cross, that it's completely free, and they receive it freely from grace, but become later convinced by someone else that they are supposed to get circumcised. Again, Paul describes such a person as being alienated and falling away. And so again, I think that if, if, if the Bible talked about this other places, you've, got, you've kind of got these two choices. Because again, it's either relationship or status. And I'm trying to make the case that it is about the nature and the quality of your relationship you moving away from him, falling away from him in a way that you can obviously come back and get better connected to him and get back into a full understanding of grace. But someone could say, well, possibly not, which is here comes to another very important biblical principle. If there is a passage that has very clear teaching, again, like the passage that we have looked at, Romans 8, where he doesn't just say, hey, that there is nothing that can separate you from the law of Christ. He goes through this incredibly long list of everything, heights, nor depths, nor, nor things present, things future, thing, you know, 
things created, things that are created, that there's absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God that you have in Christ. And again, earlier in that passage, he says that everyone that he justifies, everyone that is made right, will ultimately be glorified to be with God in heaven. It is a very clear teaching. And the topic of that passage is, is there anything that can separate you from God's love? And so there is a passage that exists by the same author in the Bible where he is answering specifically that question and very specifically answers that there is absolutely nothing. So now we have a passage that uses a lot more metaphorical language, imagery like falling away from grace, which is not something that, that's, that's not a literal thing. It doesn't even make, it is, it, is, it, is, it is a metaphor. It is an image. You imagine that you are in grace and then you fall away from it. You can't literally do that. It is a spiritual thing. It is an illustration. These you're not literally falling. So we have this metaphorical illustrative passage here that he's really just talking about that you cannot be saved through circumcision. He's talking about that you must be saved by grace alone. So if we find ourselves on the fence about what it could mean, then you allow the clearer passage that is on topic to inform you about what the less clear off-topic passage might be saying. This is not a passage about losing your salvation. It is a passage about that salvation is only by grace alone. And he uses a metaphor that could theoretically cause some confusion. I guess I shouldn't say theoretically. It has caused a significant amount of confusion over the years. But we do not allow this passage to interpret and help us understand the more clear passage. We let the clear passage in Romans 8 help us understand the metaphor that Paul is using with the phrase, you have fallen away from grace. And so what I don't want to do in our understanding of this verse, I don't want to minimize what he's saying here. Because what he's saying is significant. The more you begin to believe or allow, again, the, the yeast to come in and affect the whole batch of dough, the more you allow the, um, the idea that somehow your relationship with God is dependent on how good you are and what you do, the more problems that you're going to have, the, more, the, the less and less value Jesus is going to be to you, the more you're going to fall away from the idea of grace, the more alienated that you are going to feel from Christ, and the more alone that you're going to be and the less satisfactory and real and powerful and deep your relationship with God is going to be. He is saying this very strongly, and I want us to feel it strongly, but that is not to say, even though he is saying some very strong and powerful things, that does not equate with it, what he's saying theologically is, is that it is possible to lose your salvation by being circumcised. That is not what he's saying, because again, Romans chapter eight, we're saying there is nothing that can be done in this, in this life or the next that can be done to separate you. If you are truly justified, you will be glorified, very explicitly said. So falling away from grace is the same way like you do in any sort of relationship. You know, I, you know, you, if you um, start to think bad things about your spouse, you start to have some really big fight, you stop trusting each other, you are falling away from your marriage covenant. You are not for better or worsening anymore, right? You are not good times and bad. You, 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 are, you are falling away from this love and commitment that you made to one another. That is not the same as you no longer being married. You are just moving away. You are falling away from the principles that created the relationship in the first place. And so in the same way, 
starting to believe that your relationship with God is dependent on religious works is to move away from the foundational principle of the relationship and is only going to cause damage relationally with the one that you have the relationship with. It does not change the status of the relationship. So it's important in verses like this, again, to make sure that we're always looking at context and two, to make sure that anytime there's a passage that just seems a little weird, it uses a metaphor, an illustration we don't completely understand to allow our understanding of the unclear passage to be informed by the on-topic, more clear passage. If you have any questions about that, I would love to hear it. It's a conversation, a topic that is very, very important to me and I think is very foundational to our Christian walk in general. So feel free to holler at me at charlieatthegrovechurch.org. Also, if you have any verses or passages that you feel like kind of fall into this category of kind of highly misunderstood, misused passages, feel free to shoot those to me. I would love to hear them. And as always, if you are in the Northwest Arkansas, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can find us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Get your information about our Sunday services. We would love to see you. We'd love to meet you. If you are not, you always can feel free to join us. Uh, We stream our service, our 1030 service online every week on Facebook and YouTube. And you can find everything you need about all of that. Same place, thegrovechurch.org slash connect. Again, this is Charlie Lofton. Thank you so much for joining us on our Cultivate podcast.